Welcome to the podcast of the comic books of the movies of the Planet of the Apes with Brian and Ken. We will be reviewing every Planet of the Apes comic book ever published. All apes, all the time. Every ending makes you want to pound sand on the beach. Greetings and felicitations to episode 115, recorded April 1st, 2013. Brian, we've got something a little different this week, don't we? We do indeed. Shaking it up, shaking it up. Yes, so we have a little alienation crossover, complete with sour milk intoxication. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and I was surprised just to freshen up. I went down to my local video store, which is pretty funky, and asked for both the TV show and the movie, and they didn't have either. Oh. And when I said why... They said, well, you know, he looked it up and he said, well, it was sold because only one person ever rented it. Uh, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, yeah, and that's alienation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, luckily, I've had the DVD for a while, although I haven't watched it in a while, but I went ahead and took a look again just to refresh myself a bit. Well, I found a copy and I saw the movie, so I'm, I'm as ready as I can be. Cool. And what do you think in general about the crossover here? Because it's not the first thing that I thought about when I thought about a uh, Planet of the Apes crossover with some other franchise. Exactly. I'm not. I, I couldn't figure it out until I actually read in the comic book itself that because they, they were owned by the same company, the, ah. the com the comic book had the license for both Planet of the Apes and Alien Nation, and so they said, "Hey, why not?" So <laughs> okay, that sounds cool. Well, to make up for our little gap, because we are experts on Planet of the Apes, but not so much with Alien Nation, we have a special guest star, Mr. Donovan Chambers. Welcome. Hello, Donovan. Hey, Brian and King. And he is somebody that writes into the podcast all the time. And he's got some very impressive credentials when it comes to alienation. I'd yeah. say he's our biggest fan. I think so, too. We were a little little worried about him at first, but yeah, he's really into it. <laughs> well, that, that's flattering that you think I'm your number one fan. Yeah, that doesn't mean that we're not happy that you live in a different part of the country. But yeah, we think you're our number one fan. Great. Right. And, and when you guys were talking about the uh, alienation... Planet of the Apes crossover. Uh, you got to remember, these came out in the 90s when everybody wanted to do franchise crossovers in the comic books. So you had the Aliens versus Predator and Predator versus Batman, Aliens versus Superman. So Malibu comics or Star Adventure Trek comics. and X Men. Oh, that? that's right. I remember. That's that. right. So uh, I think Malibu just wanted to jump on that bandwagon with the two franchises that they had. Yeah, and I think they did a pretty good job too. It probably didn't hurt that they were both owned by uh, 20th Century Fox, so there wasn't all the legal legal mumbo jumbo that you'd have to do to to get those teamed up. Right. So this is kind of different, kind of cool, kind of different from what we normally do. I think the uh, melange does work. So shall we uh, get going with uh, issue number one? Let's do it. Sure. All right. And this is a four issue story arc, which we are going to tackle all four of them in this episode, and they're pretty doggone good. Okay, I have the uh, pleasure of doing the first one. Adventure Comics, Ape Nation number one. Plans is the title, or is it Twice Upon a Time? There's kind of two different uh, possible uh, titles here. I wasn't quite sure which is which, but I think I'll, I'll go with Plans. The published date is February 1991. Creative team is writer Charles Marshall. Pencil art is M.C. Wyman. Ink art, Terry Pallet. Interior coloring, David DeVries. Letterer is Clem Robbins. Cover painting, Peter Hsu. Publisher is David Ulbrick. Editor-in-Chief, Chris Ullum. Editorial assistants, Mickey Villa and Dan Danko. Creative director is Tom Mason. 
I had gotten the limited collector's edition copy, and that ooh, yes, is very good. It's very unfortunate for the people that didn't get the finer issue, but so this cover and uh, no comment, Brian. So two were available, and they both had different covers. The cover I've got here is very high quality, thick, almost cardboard like. It's it's very nice. So I got um, the regular one. That's right. That's right. And you got the rock, indeed. Okay. So the cover has raised silver lettering that says Eight Nation at the top. We show an alien brandishing a large silver pistol is to the left of the cover. An ape holding a submachine gun is to the right. And a tantalizing blonde human girl in nothing but a skimpy loincloth-like bikini whose arms are tied up above her head adorns the middle in a blatant attempt to catch the eye of male teen buyers. And quite frankly, it worked for at least this middle-aged guy, too. Okay, and then there's a, a, the second cover, the normal cover, the non-limited collector's edition cover. Brian, could you just chime in real quick on what that one looks like? You bet. We've got two soldiers clearly fighting. We've got a very large ape with a big old machine gun, and, and then in front of him is one of the aliens, and the two of them are, you know, got each other's backs, um, okay. each looking in different directions. Cool. Okay. The story opens with two loving fathers surrounded by their many children who are telling the same tale. One, an intelligent ape, and the other, an alien. An alienation alien. The fathers tell of happy times with their respective wives, telling how they were taken from them all too soon. The wives. They speak of happy times that ended too soon and suddenly. The ape and his wife confronted with a massive bear ready to strike. An alien and everyone on a spaceship confronted by a field of asteroids unexpectedly. They both speak of confronting the unknown as the most frightening challenge of all. The ape is taken in the bear's mighty arms, but finds the strength to land a mighty blow to the beast's sensitive nose. It drops the father and walks away. The alien is able to use a ship's weaponry to blast the incoming hunks of rock and save the day. Each father warns his children of the hardships they may face. He counsels them to stand tall and face their pains and challenges. In the end, all may not end happily, but in fighting their challenges with honor, they will truly live. Plans. Subtitle of the issue at this point. A scroll is presented to the reader, and upon it is the introduction to the intelligent ape's story. His name is Heston, and news from afar has blasted him out of his comfortable, safe life in Ape City. His life will never be the same. The leader of Ape City's governing council is in emergency session and led by Alexander. The council members show disbelief in the news they have just heard. Heston is given the floor to give more detail. Heston was on guard duty at the edge of the city where three riders, back from hunting a human far into the Forbidden Zone, have a tale to tell. They tell of a streaking white light shooting across the sky, but instead of crashing to the ground, it slowed and landed not far from them. They investigated and saw a huge white shape glowing and gently coming to rest on the ground. Pale creatures, like humans but with no hair at all, descended from the huge white oval. Despite the outlandish story, they assign Heston to assemble a small party and investigate the story. Later, Heston and a small packer leave Ape City to meet a tracker far beyond the city wall named Winnipeg. Heston picks up his next team member in prison. 
Roto is a huge ape, reputedly one of the strongest in all of Ape City. Heston talks him into joining him on his reconnaissance journey by showing Roto that he is not scared of him despite the fact he is twice Heston's size. The young nephew of a friend named Bartholomew excitedly joins the expedition and is immediately redubbed Bart. Far away from Ape City, General Olo is forming an unholy alliance bent on destroying Ape City. In the meeting room where the general awaits, Simon enters with a dingo on a leash, and Simon is a human. Next, Olo welcomes the final member of the alliance, Denada, an alien flanked by two larger aliens armed with advanced-looking rifles, are then greeted by Olo. Simon cannot believe who or what just entered the room. Olo tells Denada to tell Simon his story. Denada, the alien, does so. His people are called Tectonese, and they were genetically engineered to be excellent slaves. He claims they are stronger, faster, and smarter than either apes or humans. They were being ferried in a convoy of ships into a new enslaving client when their ship became separated from the rest. Captain Khan took a perilous gambit and steered the ship into a wormhole. Separated from their enslavers, Denada saw the opportunity to take over the leadership of their little colony of escaped slaves and took over from Captain Khan. Now Donata's ambition has stepped up a whole new level and asks General Olo and Simon to join him in conquering the world. The narrative joins Heston's party, who has been on the road for six weeks now, but still has a long way to go. They are confronted by three large and angry wild boars that charge them. Each boar is taken down, and it looks like good dinner for all when young Bart runs at them and then passes them, screaming all the way with fear. The small band looks back at what frightened Bart so much, and see a huge army of wild-eyed humans, gorillas, and a third frightening-looking species Heston has never seen before. However, it does occur to Heston they look like the creatures described to him that came out of the glowing orb that landed rather than crashed. Though Rolo likes good fight, he sees coming. None of his companions are happy about it one bit. A mighty fight ensues. Though they fight valiantly, they are all taken down to the ocean waves of fighters that wash over them. Nothing but black. When Heston comes to, he is in a dark room that is unlike any room he has ever seen before. And then he concludes that he must be inside the alien's boat from the sky. He was chained to the ceiling and the floor, bleeding and bruised, not knowing if his friends were dead or alive. He congratulates himself on finding the adventure he wanted all his life. To be continued. Uh-huh. There you are. Yep, yep, yep. So you got a lot of action going on, and of course this is the setup issue. Absolutely. Yeah, the whole gathering the team story, you know, it's kind of... Yep, hero's journey gathering the companions and then now they see at the very mm-hmm. end the the big challenge that that's going to be uh their challenge for this uh this adventure but they've and... already they've already lost they, they get they get <clears throat> beat up in the very first uh first issue and maybe they're all dead except for heston heroes are born in adversity and this is adversity we got three more issues man there must be more going on you should have stopped at Heroes Are Born in Adversity. That was deep. 
Nice. Nice. Oh, oh thank you. Thank okay. You. Did, did, let's just, just... Did anybody else, like, when you first read it and you saw that the main character's name was Heston, did anybody else just go, really? No, well, I, I didn't say really. I thought it was kind of cool. I, I then, loved it. And and that the alien's name is Khan from yes. James Khan. <laughs> so both of them were the, uh, you know, Charlton Heston, James Khan. They, never, they weren't the alien. They didn't ever get to wear the alien makeup or the ape makeup, but here you kind of think that it is those actors or whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it, getting yeah. to ape it up. Yeah, it, it's the lead characters from both franchises. Well, at least the original lead actors from right. both franchises. And I thought it was kind of an interesting little in kind of thing. It was, you know, and, I, and I'm clueless enough to have not gotten the con thing. Every time I saw con, I could just think, con! <laughs> Star Trek, ridiculous. No, 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 no. That's a different. That's a different. I know, podcast. I know, I know, I know, I know. But it, you know, and it's not even spelled the way. But yes, Con and Heston. I didn't get it. All right. Well, thank you. That's why we invited you on, Donovan. And I appreciate. It. And I like to throw my alienation knowledge on you. Oh, <laughs> a whole can of alienation knowledge opened up on you. Yeah. Thank no, you. I really liked that. I thought that was a nice little nod to both franchises. Yeah. Yeah. So can I uh, ask a question? And maybe it's my lack of knowledge on Planet of the Apes, but um, is this thought of a Lightfoot type warrior, is that from anything, or is that just something in the comic books? I, I don't, I've never seen it in the films or the TV show, I think they were just trying to be all you know, Native American-y. Right. Um, yeah, or, yeah, or they're like ninjas. They're so that, Oh yeah, kind it, of a combination of a spiritual <clears throat> race that, you know, yes, can fight but doesn't like to. Right. Right. Like, like like some of those um, those Japanese samurai movies or something, you know, where they got the guys, uh, the martial arts guys that are also are deep thinkers, but can kick butt. Yeah, I mean, there's this great scene where they shoot an arrow right at him, and he catches it in his two hands just before he right. hits his face. It's kind of right. cool. Right. Yeah. yeah, that Packer was kind of a, a he's just a, a clumsy dude. Well, yeah, him doing that didn't make any sense, <laughs> uh, except that it demonstrated, you know, that he's a great warrior. Yeah, it was a little over the top, but you know, it's yeah, a comic book. it was. I, it I can go with it. Yeah. So speaking of names, I just wanted to point out that Donata actually means something interesting in Spanish. Go on. Go on. Okay, so in Spanish, Donata apparently, because I looked this up, also means damaged, wrecked, ruined. Also, Donata is a four-foot-long millipede that lives in the Arctic Ocean and is known for attacking prey much larger than themselves. Interesting. Brilliant. Well, it's kind of you know it's kind of interesting choice by the writer for uh-huh. some of these names. I mean, he's he's kind of trying to make sure they at least some of them have some other references that are somehow you know match up with the character. Right, he's so. clearly into the naming thing. Yeah. Yes, he is. So. Right. Well, in, in Alienation, uh, a lot of times their Tanktonese names often sounded almost Spanish-like. You know, it, it didn't quite match up to a, a real word in, in Spanish but or maybe Italian or whatever, but it always kind of sounded like it could be a real a real name. Right. Well, yeah, in the movie, didn't they give him famous names like Gary Cooper and yes <laughs> well and, and to be honest that's what I was a little worried about starting this issue uh, because you know I'm used to the Tanktonese getting weird you know Sam Francisco and things like that kind of right. names so I was like are they going to try to do that with 
the the apes giving them weird names? Because if so, that's going to be really cheesy. Yeah. And uh, you know they didn't do that, and I thought that was really cool that yeah. uh, that they didn't try to bring that aspect of alienation over into this series. Right. They resisted the cheese. Yeah. Nice. And I and I think a lot of that was very tied to the idea that they were coming into America. So right. and there was a long tradition of people getting renamed. <laughs> to something a little easier for the uh, existing, uh, you know, American population to deal with. Right. Yeah, but I think they sometimes went a little too far, like naming somebody Bic Lighter and things nah. like that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they, they have lots of funny names. Uh, yeah. But you would think that not every single Tink Denise would have a, a, a comical name like that. Right. Well, let me ask you something, Donovan. Ha- having seen the movie but not seen the TV series... It, what's the connection between the two? Obviously, the first one is a buddy cop film, um, and, and is the next one? Do they have different actors playing the same roles, or is it a different set of? Uh... It, it's basically different actors playing the same roles. San Francisco and um, James Conn's character is now played by uh, Gary Graham, who is um, he plays Matt Sykes, but uh, Gary Graham also went on to do. Um, Star Trek Voyager and Star Trek Enterprise. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys know who he is. And, and Eric Pierpoint. Oh, yeah. Eric Pierpoint played uh, San Francisco, and he also went on to do uh, Enterprise. He was the head of uh, what was it Sector Section Thirty One or something like that. Oh really? Yeah, that guy was the uh, huh. in Enterprise. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So he was always meeting up with. Um, what was his name? No, uh, the engineer Reed. The, oh. No, uh, security. Oh, Mal- oh, yeah, Malcolm. Right, Malcolm. Right. Yeah. So I always liked it when he guest starred on Enterprise, and, mm. and he was always the head of Section Thirty One. Cool. Nice. I did not realize that was the actor that played him in the TV and series. He played, and he played the Mandy Patinkin role. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. And, well, and another little Star Trek reference. I, I don't know how big in Star Trek you two are, but uh, the wife. The wife. I've seen it. The wife on uh, Alienation, um, San Fran- uh, Sam's Francisco's wife. She played Desora in Star Trek: The Next Generation, where she was Data's girlfriend for an episode or two. Right. Huh. Okay. I don't. I think I missed that one, but cool. Yeah. So a lot. A lot of the people from Alienation ended up going to Star Trek at some point. Huh, but I, th- cool. I think anybody kind of did. You know, yeah. It- yeah, there's a lot of actors that do a lot of genre sci-fi stuff that bounce between these series. Oh, well, heck, within Star Trek, they use the same actors for different roles all the oh, time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gary Graham played uh, a Vulcan on Enterprise, but then he played uh, an Ocampa on Voyager for several episodes. So, sure. I, again, anyways, enough about Star Trek. Yeah. Uh, so, well, this is your podcast. You you guys tell me what to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I rookie. Rookie. I like that. I'm here trying to control things. I'm sorry, yeah. guys. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. You just back off, okay, pal? Well, I got a question <laughs> so, about uh, the timeline of the Planet of the Apes. So, uh, obviously, this is the future of Earth, right? So, the instead of the Tanktonese landing in. 1990, they're in the future somewhere. Where in the uh, Planet of the Apes timeline do you think this fits? Because they say that Simon is one of the last humans to be able to speak, and they have a he has a wolf, which is like the last of the canines. And I thought that Escape from the Planet of the Apes or Conquest or one of those said that all the all the um, dogs died. 
Yeah, yeah. They, they talk about that in it's mm. described in Escape, and then when you start Conquest, that they're dead. There's we're past that. Yeah. Um, and, and also an interesting point is they in the comic book they know that they used to be enslaved, right? Uh, by humans, so they have that knowledge. It seems to be general knowledge, or at least uh, Heston knows about it. In the movies, most people don't know about that. So this must be further in the past, I think is part of your point, Donovan. Uh, maybe further in the past than the first uh, Planet of the Apes movie. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting to try and make it work because there are certain clues, which is they hate humans, right, and, uh, in general. And humans don't talk uh, except for the one main character, human. Right. Uh, I forgot his name. Um, so in the original Simon. timeline, he, Simon. In the original timeline, of course, humans were mute. That was what made Ch- Charlton Heston such a you know anomaly was the fact that he could talk. Right. Um, but if that was the timeline, and this is supposed to be after that, that doesn't make sense because in that timeline, the Earth blew up in the second movie. Sorry. <laughs> I thought this was before that, though. I think it's before. Uh, yeah. yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that right. So it seemed like it was a time when they still remembered that they were slaves to people, right. but well, it had to be before, right. probably before uh, the original Planet of the Apes events happened. And it would have to be in that um, timeline, because in the second timeline, the, it ends with humans and apes sort of living in harmony, which I've always had an issue with, but you know, it's nice. Do you is, know what I mean by the second is, timeline? Is that, how, is that how... Now, I'm going to admit that I've never seen the last... Uh, original movie. What is it? Battle of the Planet of the Apes. Battle for the Planet of the Apes. I've yeah. never seen that. Is that how that ends with them in harmony? Yeah, it shows the the lawgiver, who is played by some very famous actor that escapes me at the moment. Um, you know, he's the lawgiver and he's teaching children, both human and ape, uh, and it's you know kind of nice. So. So how does that fit in with the TV show? Because in the TV show. Um, the two astronauts, uh, they're in their version of the Planet of the Apes. The humans are more like slaves to the apes, and the apes. Yeah. Some well, apes know that there used to be a past where the the humans were the masters, but most of them don't. Well, first, it's important yes. to realize that that the TV show, the way that they explained that was that, of course, the original movie was set on the East Coast, the Forbidden Zone. Then you go into New York City at the end, of course, with the Statue of Liberty, and the TV show was set on the West Coast. So, but you know, but they, but they, right, and that's fine. But they do make reference to the Charlton Heston astronaut. Not, uh, in, the, not in the TV show. I never heard him. They do I have the same, believe the same they ship. Do. It's the, they use the same prop as the ship. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and, well, it, it's I, been a little while since I've seen the TV series, but I'm pretty sure they did make reference to Charlton Heston, which made it sound the TV series always sound a little bit like like a little bit of a retread of the second movie. But well, and, and you know, I, like I said, I wanted to watch all five movies before we did this because you know you guys asked me to come on and and I wanted to you know be able to show off my Planet of the Apes knowledge, but unfortunately uh-huh. I didn't get to. But I did watch the original movie, and uh-huh. in it it says that he is in uh, the year 3955, because they actually have that mm-hmm. chronometer that, that Charlton Heston knows where he is. And right. in the TV show, they have the same thing, except it's a digital chronometer, and it actually says that they're in 3085, which is a 900 years earlier. Mm. So I always thought that the TV show 
chronological as far as the apes are concerned happened before and and over this 900 years between the two is when the humans became mute or whatever is mm. that not what you guys thought too or you keep that, mentioning that's a, not a, what I got but okay. I could have got it wrong no, I like that about the years. I didn't realize the TV show years. I mean, I, basically, I saw the TV show quite a while ago. Um, the, the movies I've watched a lot. It's kind of fun to watch the five movies in a row, the original movies, and watch the, um, the, the budget the, the, the and the production values go down and down and down. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, they half the, the budget halves in each film, each subsequent film. Oh, you looked that up? Yeah. Or it just well, looks like up. they did. No, no, they did. If you watch, um, there's a documentary, it's a two-hour documentary with Roddy McDowell called Behind the Planet of the Apes, mm-hmm. and it's a special feature on a lot of the editions, um, and they talk about that. By the time you get to, you know, the big battle for the Planet of the Apes, they've got, like, a bus and two Jeeps, and they go across a field with some explosions. That's, like, the big the big battle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. And then, so they were loosening their budget, and then they still tried to do an animated series and a, and a live-action series? Oh, yeah. If you can milk yeah. money out of a franchise, why not? Yeah, well, anyways, I I watched the TV series recently, and I really enjoyed it. I, I, I think I liked it better than the first movie. What? Uh, wow. I, I, what? I'm sorry. Well, uh, again, well, thanks for coming, Donovan. <laughs> yes, yes, thanks for coming, Donovan. Uh, get, get, cut him off, cut him off. <laughs> No, I just think you had more character development. You actually had an ape, you know, played by uh, McDowell that Roddy McDowell. that you actually liked, as opposed to all the other ones he played, where you just kind of like, you know, like a, yeah, he's a kind of like in the Caesar, first one. You don't really like him, you know. He's still doing this big revolution and killing humans, but in uh, when he plays Galen in uh, the TV series, I-, I loved him in that show, and I thought yeah. and I loved that character. He's a nice guy. You know, they, it, later on, because that TV series didn't last, it lasted a season, they didn't even get them all on. Uh, they had uh, TV movies that they basically combined episodes, and there were introductions sort of framing each story uh, with Roddy McDowell playing Galen. Um, Wasn't and, he like an old version of Galen? Yeah, yeah, he was like telling a story, and he, I forgot what it was, he was making a doll or something. Um I haven't seen those in years because again, that's not part of the original TV series. It's when they retread it a couple of years yeah. later. <laughs> well, they're they're going to get their money's worth, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, which is fine with me. Love the mm-hmm. stuff. Anyway, so I, I, I didn't mean to derail you, but uh, my my main thought when I was watching reading this was that I was just really having a hard time placing this book. I assume that it was after the TV series because the humans have de-evolved to a degree, but. But there's a do- they talk about that being the last dog, and in the original, what is it, uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, where they talk about the dogs dying off? Yeah, the, the Cornelius, um, Zira and Cornelius tell the story. I think it's Zira. Okay. And then, um, but there's dogs in the TV show, so I always, I never quite understood why why there are dogs sometimes, and sometimes there's not. Huh. Different producers continuity isn't always the top thing uh, I know that just hurts me I know <laughs> they should I have know. someone like it's you bad, uh, but... Brian uh, doing all these I, they, there are actually people whose jobs are continuity that's the that's job. right yeah but that's of course to make that's like to make sure that you have like the same you know spot on your shirt from scene to scene that's not really continuity like I'd like to do it yeah 
Anyway, right. the, the last thing I want to say about this initial issue, which I did thoroughly enjoy, I like it's a it's a nice, straightforward, no nonsense adventure story. I like it. Uh, likable characters, but the one thing that really angers me about this is where the heck is Loincloth Girl, who's on the cover? She's not in here, and that that's <laughs> false advertising. Oh, well, and the, that's the, the last two, thing I have to say about this issue. <laughs> the first two issues I think are really guilty of false advertisement because. They have the Tanktonese guy looking like he's in like a, a modern yeah. age jacket of some sort yeah. with, a, with a cool gun, and even the ape has like a semi-automatic gun of some sort. Yeah, a little submachine gun. Which, in the Planet of the Apes universe, all they had were those crude rifles, and that's all you see in this 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 series. That's right. Hey, I just remember that's it was right. John Huston. John Huston plays the lawgiver. He was the actor, and. Uh, it, it, in terms of connecting this and continuity, didn't they mention um, General Aldo in this comic book? I thought I remember reading something about they were uh, the bad guy. Well, Olo is a follower of... Was it Aldo? Is hmm. it Aldo? Because Aldo is from Battle. Played by yeah. Claude Akins. Ah, uh, yes. He'd make, yeah, he, he, he was a good ape. Well, no. Well, Claude Akins was a bad guy. No, I meant he was a no, no. I meant he was a good actor for that kind oh. of role. I didn't mean he was a good guy, a good character. Yeah, ape shall not kill ape, and he did. Yeah, and they actually that's a that's a good tie-in. That's a very good tie-in because he's a follower of General Aldo, the ape killer, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's what right. Makes, that identifies him as a bad guy. So that's yeah. the the one connection to the movies that I yeah. found. He's a loyal follower of the ways, not necessarily of him himself. Well, yeah, because he's dead. He's been dead a long time, but yeah. yeah. Okay, well, anyway, I did not catch that. I, I thought that when he said Aldo the Killer of Apes, that just kind of flew over my head, and then later we hear Simon the Slayer, and I was like, oh, that must have been who they were talking about. No. Okay. No, but, but you never saw Battle, so that would be why you wouldn't have gotten it. Okay. That, that, that's a very good observation there, Brian. Mighty nice. That's why you pay him the big bucks. That's right. Exactly. Speaking okay, of big yeah, bucks, uh, when do I get mine? <clears throat> uh, we'll discuss that later. So, actually, I did have one more thing to say. I think Donata in his dress, I could not take him seriously as first as a bad guy. <laughs> because, uh, what, a page... Uh, it's kind of tarzan Is it 18? Uh, yeah, uh, page 18. Uh, 21, 20, 19, 18. Well, I'm, I'm looking at page 18. And, oh, okay. he, and he's up there like in front of all of his followers, like up on a table or something, and he's got a dress on. I'm sorry. And I'm, I just, I'm just pointing out I, that I find it I difficult taking seriously. I think we have different numbers. Because, oh, by the way, I can't believe I forgot to say this. We have different numbers on our books. That's going to be difficult. But really? that's because, well, I, you, no, you have the special edition. Yes, and, we do. Uh, but but I didn't have that, that prelude about the <laughs> bear and the father. You were going through it, and I'm looking through my book saying, what? Oh, wow. Oh, that's wow. special stuff that, oh, wow. That's interesting. When you so limited, the, the limited collector's edition has extra the, pages. Interesting. Yes, exactly. So you know, right, when I open up the losers version, it the first thing <laughs> you see is that is plans is the you know. Oh, okay. 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 So there's a little a little extra prelude uh, into yeah. into the story. Ah, okay. Yeah, and I was not envying you, Ken, to synopsisize those first couple pages because it's done in it's a awkward. in a style that you could never do anywhere else. So 
one side of the one side of the page is the ape version of the same picture that the left side of the or the right side of the page has the uh, alien version and right. the, the dialogue or not really dialogue but the narrative kind of covers over both of them it does and uh, it's a really cool way that I think only comic books could get away with where you're yeah. basically telling two stories with the same words but different uh, and pictures. different characters, it, and the pictures are showing some of the differences. Some people are on the spaceship, other people are walking in the in the woods. You know, I, I think it's great. I think yeah. they did a very good job with that. Agreed. Yeah, and you know, the those of us that can actually see those pages are very impressed, <laughs> while uh, those that can't, uh, we just aren't. use our imagination. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's all I have to say. So much for being a completionist. <laughs> I think you can get it online. I got my uh, collector's edition for 80 cents. Well, I already spent my 70 cents on my loser edition. <laughs> oh, man, that isn't much of a difference. I thought it was funny that it has a cover price of five ninety five, and you can buy them in really good condition for 80 cents. And this was back in the 90s when we were all putting our, you know, buying two copies and putting one into the plastic bag thinking that we were going to retire rich. <laughs> you have to be very careful which comics you buy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On number All two? Right. Um, I don't have anything else, Brian. Uh, no. We didn't talk much about the story. And I have to say, through this whole thing, the story is a little light. Okay? I know you guys like the story, but it's a little... It's, there's not a lot there. It's good, and the art is good. We didn't mention the art. Um, but uh, it kind of went quick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, well, it's I, it's I a comic book, of, but yeah. kind of story it worked. I mean, I was going to kind of mention comparing it to the to both of the other franchises later. I mean, mm -hmm. unless you want to do it now. No, 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 no. Moving on. I just wanted to say before we kept going. Yeah. Issue uh, two. Alienation number two, uh, or I'm sorry, Ape Nation number two. Hey, watch it, pal. Sorry. This is not the Alienation Podcast. Not yet, but uh, I'm going to... Oh? <laughs> All right, so Ape Nation number two, entitled Past. And its writing staff is the same except for the uh, cover illustrator is Paul Golancy. The cover, again, shows a scantily clad woman on the cover. So I, I guess what Ken was saying is... That's what they were uh, they were trying to get a certain buyer. But uh, this time it's a scantily clad Tinktonese female lounging in what might be a leopard skin bikini of some sort. She has uh, leather studded cuffs around her calves. Her legs are positioned in a somewhat awkward way. I, I wouldn't say provocative way, but it's just just a kind of an odd position, I think. Behind her are some male tanktonies in leather coats and gold chains. To the left of her is a large face of an ape, perhaps a gorilla, along with a couple of other apes on horseback. One of the ape riders has his arm up and holding a rifle in a shot that any fan of the ape series will know. Behind the apes is a shot of the Statue of Liberty. So the story starts off with Heston is thinking to himself about the life of a farmer. It's hard work for an honest living. We see an ape picking some corn when he notices a cloud heading his way, a cloud on the ground. He fears that it's a swarm of locusts. 
In a few minutes, he will wish that's all it was. It turns out to be a raving horde of apes, humans, and newcomers. This roving mob destroys and kills anything in its path. Later, the mob's leaders discuss the day's progress towards Ape City. They are Donata, the newcomer, Olo the ape, and Simon the human. They say that they're about 300 miles until they reach Ape City. The trio is getting excited about their upcoming conquest. Back on the spaceship, Hested is seen chained next to a newcomer who he keeps calling Taterhead. Heston reminisces about his friends that he lost in the last issue, Roto, Winnipeg, Packer, and Bart. Heston's monologue is interrupted when Taterhead speaks up for the first time. He tells Heston that he has learned the ape language, and Heston proves that he can also speak Tintinese. Taterhead introduces himself as Khan and tells his backstory. He was captain of the ship when it crashed. His brother, Donata, took command over the aliens after the crash and imprisoned Khan and his sister. Khan's sister, Elsa, soon arrives with keys, and she releases the two men. They start to make their escape when Simon stabs Elsa in the back. Enraged, the two men attack Simon. Soon, guards arrive, and the newly freed duo must make a quick escape. They fight through many more guards before making it out of the ship and away on horseback. Olo arrives to Donata's quarters. The guards at first refuse to let him in, but Olo takes them out quickly. Inside Donata's quarters, Olo finds him bathing with three lovely females. Olo informs him that Heston and Khan has escaped. And then Donata says that this is the second escape. So we don't know who the first one was. Later, Simon leaves on his own to track the fugitives, despite the other's objections. Heston and Khan make their way to an abandoned farm. In the barn, Khan finds a bucket of soured goat's milk, and he drinks it. It is delicious, and he drains the whole bucket. Now he finds himself a little intoxicated and goes out for a stroll. Later, Heston checks in the barn. Later, Heston checks in the barn and cannot find Khan anywhere. Khan is playing around a stream and he falls in. As he's lounging in the water, a huge gorilla who claims to be Roto finds him and starts to attack the enumerated alien. Just as Roto is about to finish him off, Simon shows up and tells Khan that he's about to kill him like he killed his sister. To be continued. Boy, that Simon's a jerk. Yeah. He is a jerk. He's a backstabbing jerk. And just remember that as the uh, as the story continues. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of the backstab, I-, I thought it was, and this was my comments when I was reading the book, I thought that Elsa died really quickly. I was I was kind of annoyed that she died so quickly because you know, the Tanktonese are supposed to have two hearts and just because you stab one doesn't mean they're necessarily going to die. So I was kind of annoyed at that part. Yeah. And especially given how good she looks in her little outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping she'd be around longer. She's definitely not the Tanktonese on the cover. I don't know who that woman is. No, it's the tank- think- that's her. No, she doesn't wear, like, a leopard bikini like that. I, well, 
if it isn't her, and by the way, the the leopard bikini lady on the front is is looks tall and thin and lithe, and uh, so is so is she inside the book. Right, but so are the three women that uh, are with Donata when he's taking a bath. <laughs> Boy, Donata knows how to milk a position. I'll tell you. <laughs> you know. So, anyways, I uh, I liked Elsa for what little she was in it. Me too. I think it's a. I thought it was Elisa. Did I get that wrong? Oh, I might mispronounce stuff. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's Elisa. Elisa, right? What was I saying? You Elsa. Know, it, you said Elsa. <laughs> well, after a certain point, you, you just got to let Donovan go with it. That's fine. <laughs> Thanks, kid. <laughs> we know what you meant. So, it, I really like the times when, uh, uh, especially here initially, where we've got uh, Heston and Khan just bonding. Just like looking at each other and saying, really? And then they beat the crap. Uh, well, they attack Simon. I like that. <laughs> In a very yeah. superheroic type pose where they're kind of both pouncing on him at the same time. Yeah, well, ganging up on the guy, yeah, but he deserves it. But, but you know, <laughs> their, their, their buddy thing is bonding here. I like it. You know, right. The buddy cop movie stuff is happening here. I like it. You're right. You know, I when, when um, Roto shows up at the end, is it me or does he look like King Kong? It, it's uh, like I'm page, mine is page 25. Um, he's just ridiculously huge, ridiculously. Yeah, yeah, yeah he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he looks like he's like five times bigger than it's Kong. King Kong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the character kind of, of of Roto kind of reminds me of, um, you know, uh, Ben from Fantastic Four. It's clobbering oh. time. No, oh, yeah, you know? yeah, a little bit. Yeah, oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Not how he looks, but just the attitude. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, he's a happy-go-lucky guy. Yeah, he's just living life. He is, uh, he's a hedonist. He sleeps well. <laughs> I liked in the first issue where uh, Heston goes to see him and closes his nose, and then Roto's like, yep, it's me. I stink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, he didn't care. No, but at the end, he makes a joke out of it. It wasn't smelling very good in there. So <laughs> right. I'm okay with leaving. Okay, I have a question. Yes. Have we? Did I miss this? Have we figured out what it is that's driving this horde to go for days and days crazed? Uh, what is what is the motivation that's and driven them into this frenzy? Are you asking? Do we know it as of this point, or do we know it by the end of the book or the end of the series? I, I, either. I never really got the. <laughs> I never got what it was. They just keep going. They're like this cloud of locusts. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a little ridiculous. Well, they're leaders. You know, supposedly the you, you know Simon being the human leader, and then the the Tanktonese and the and the ape leaders, uh, guerrilla leaders. I mean, somehow they're able to take their 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 people, their armies, whatever, and get them to march in this ridiculous way, like like <laughs> like like banshees. I mean, just like like nuts. So I mean, how, how can you maintain something like that over time? But it's well, a comic it. book, so. Yeah, but it, but, it makes but no we. Sense. It doesn't make much sense, but we do get a reference a little later. Right. Well, yeah, and and they've been running for weeks because Heston says that he was chained up there for weeks. So that means yeah. that they got captured, brought back to the ship. Because I'll, I'll be honest, when I was reading this issue, I was confused as to where the leaders were. So yeah. I, at first, I thought they were going along with the mob, 
But then I was like, then why is the ship there? But then now I realize that the mob's on its own and just making its way to Ape City, and they're sitting at the ship living it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you, Brian. I never could understand why or how the the mob was being controlled. Well, okay, but I mean, there. Well, we'll wait till the last issue. But they do make a reference to an okay. explanation, at least a partial explanation, anyway. You guys remember that? Uh, I remember them asking if it was something, but I don't remember them ever actually admitting to anything. Okay. I can wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. You know, they, to some degree, the story called for this, and so they gave it. <laughs> I mean, you know. Well, I know you were upset that you never got to see the babe on the cover of issue one, but what was? why would they put the Statue of Liberty on? I know it's the iconic Planet of the Apes symbol, but it has nothing to do with this story. It's, well, it's a cover. They're just trying to catch people's eye. So fans like us, I mean, you know, Planet of the Apes, yes. Oh, Statue of Liberty. Oh, I remember that. I like that. Right. And it's like, right. oh, I'm going to buy this. And oh, look, there's a really hot woman that has a weird head. But man, look at that bikini. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to buy this issue. But, but she's wearing contemporary type clothing a little, you know. Yeah, I mean, 80s. minus the studded leather whatever things on her calves. But. Right, but then those two guys behind her are wearing... Yep. Jeans and leather jackets with gold, yep. gold bracelets. I mean, gold necklaces. <clears throat> yeah. So you know, looking at this cover, it's kind of like they took elements from the two movies, even though neither one of those elements have anything to do with the the issue itself. Right. Right. Yep. So You're right. No, I'm I'm with you. I, I don't. The next two, the covers actually match what's going on in the in the story itself. Right. Yeah. That's true. They do a better job there. Maybe the marketing department was uh, taken over at this point, and they were able to do a little better job on the covers. Hmm. But dang, we don't see any hot ladies anymore. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the trio of women giving him a bath to make another appearance. Oh, oh yeah, we yes. get a butt crack in that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like... Um, there are some scenes on the cover and on the inside it's like whoa I'm not so sure I'd want my 10 year old son to be reading this comic but I'll take it give me that comic (laughs) kid junior well in the bath scene they're wearing clothes they're wearing like some sort of garment on their bottoms but not on their their upper regions I don't well okay there's one okay so if you really, really want to pick this apart on page 19 there's one of them that has some kind of bikini bottom on, and I, I do. We, are we really have to going through this anyway? But then the other two girls, he's got three girls in the in the water with him. Wow, <laughs> um, they don't appear to have anything on. You're right. She just happens to be the one that would actually be showing something if she didn't. Ah, have a good point. Good point. So I wonder if maybe she was originally drawn without it, and then the 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 editor was like, "Hey, you're gonna have to put something there." <laughs> We're gonna get in rough trouble as it is. Let's not go overboard. Because hmm. you know that's how that's what they did in Watchmen, right? That uh, the original artist drew Doctor Manhattan naked throughout the whole thing, even oh, when he's genitalia. When he's, yeah, when he's giant. Uh, then the the you know DC was like, hey, you know what? Put some put some underoos on him, <laughs> and then you know they still let him get away with some shots where he's you know completely naked. Uh, but then most of the shots they they 
penciled Cover in them up. The, and, and what's funny is that they did it in such a bad job. I mean, it looks just like somebody threw black paint under his uh, uh, male regions. Yeah, <laughs> which is really unfortunate because the whole the whole point. No, no, no. <laughs> Listen, hear me out. The whole point of Doctor Manhattan is he was so superior to humanity. It's like he didn't care. So. He didn't care to wear clothes. So part of his whole thing is he's going to let his jubblies, his privates, just hang out there because he's so far beyond modesty or or simple little social mores like that. Uh, you know, we're like ants to him. I mean, that, that would really underscore it if he just out there completely. Anyway. Jubblies? Did you say jubblies? I'm sorry. That, that's breasts, I know. But it... <laughs> Is Jules is you know? I'm, I'm with you. I just wanted to make sure I got the word right. Okay. <laughs> you know, so that we can use that word in future references. Don't don't use jubblies. That's wrong. That's that's breasts. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, mm. All right. Well, um, I, I don't have anything else on two. I'm I'm done with two. Ah, uh, let's see. Um, I like that they were able to get alienation. The phrase alienation worked into the scroll at the beginning of this one. So I kind of like that. that. Yeah, so they were able to, to do that. I like that. Um, already commented about uh, Heston and Khan but, uh, bonding so well. I like that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, a lot of my uh, a lot of my comments are similar to ones you guys made. So. Uh, so I got a question: uh, is, is Heston a chimpanzee? He is, right? I think so. I think so, yeah. He looks yeah. like a chimpanzee. When it was just showing their faces, I always had a hard time figuring out who was a gorilla and who was a chimpanzee. Because uh, unlike the movies and stuff, they, they kind of look the same. Except for, you know, like Roto and and Olo, they're obviously a lot bigger. So they're well, gorillas. In the films, their costumes were also kind of uniform to their species. Yeah. So, you know, all of the chimpanzees had a green tunic and the orangutans had the sort of orangey tan thing and the gorillas had the black. Yeah, uh, black leather kind of things, which they kind of have here too, but I mean, at least the gorillas do. And except for Rolo, yeah. who can barely, he's too big to wear much. In, in that um, documentary that I mentioned, there is actually a story about how when they were filming the show, you know, all the actors got into their outfits. And when it came time for lunch break... They would actually group together around the the picnic tables and the and the lunch tables in their sort of species, and they were never <laughs> like told to do that. It's, it's kind of an interesting comment on on sort of human nature. They they right. gathered as their own, um, regardless of what they were underneath all the makeup. So, do we have any uh, gorilla makeup guys? You know, taking the lunches away from the yeah. <laughs> chimpanzees or anything? They didn't go that far, but uh, I still find And they weren't throwing exercise. feces, were they? <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know. Is that what happened in the outtakes? <laughs> I, I didn't see that scene. So number three? All right, number three. Uh, same credits with the exception of the cover, which, was, which is Stephen Butler. This issue is called Pawns. And the cover shows a fierce Roto staring directly at the viewer up to his waist in running water with Khan held high over his head with one hand and the other hand firmly around Simon's throat 
while Simon's dog barks helplessly. So clearly that's just picking up right where the last issue left off. The story starts with the obligatory scroll and Heston recounting his eye-opening journey that he lost Khan and that he assumes he will be dead soon. Heston is rushing on horseback to catch up with Khan, hoping to catch him before he does anything stupid because he needs him to try and stop the crazed army horde heading for Ape City. Meanwhile, the Horde attacks a small farming village. We cut to a scene uh, depicted on the cover. Simon tries to stop Roto, who has Khan over his head in the river. A three-way fight ensues and is stopped short by two Tectides guards who attempt to take the three into custody. But the three former combatants join forces and kill the two newcomers. Khan tells Simon that he's pissed that Khan killed his sister, and Khan says he's sorry. And the three head off to find Heston and confront the Horde. Heston's narration explains that Bart, remember young Bart, the little one, is still alive. Bart is having a hard time living in the wilderness, missing the comforts of home, entangling with wild pigs and bees, and generally pretty down on himself. And just when things seem most bleak, he stumbles upon Ape City. Meanwhile, General Olo is getting frustrated with Donata's excessive luxury and lack of concern for their plan. Interrupting his session with babes and wine, Olo confronts him and tells him he's messing everything up. And when he leaves, Donata orders that Olo be killed. Heston stumbles onto the alien ship looking for Khan and groping in the dark, winds up falling into bed with a Tectonis woman who turns out to be Elisa, who survived because she was stabbed in only one of her hearts. She's a time lord. He explains how he lost Khan. He says he came back to the smell of sour milk, and she explains that's what gets them drunk. She insists they need to stop Denata, and armed with a rifle, she and Heston with a dagger set off to do just that. Cut to the three unlikely allies, Rodo, Khan, and Simon, who are waking up beneath a tree and getting ready for the approach of the horde, which they estimate to be about an hour away, when they look and see the crazed army is actually on the horizon and heading toward them to be continued. <laughs> uh, getting closer. Indeed. The wild-eyed horde of death. These three became pals pretty quick. I mean... Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, Simon's a jerk. Uh, backstabbing <laughs> jerk, and uh, literally. I, I, I did, I, I literally and figuratively, <laughs> and I'm, I had a big problem with this, and that's why I said, you know, in issue uh, one, I guess, uh, I got a problem with, you know, you with, said he with, was the, sorry. with this. Oh God, I'm sorry. Yeah, right. Take his head off. I, I'm sorry. sorry I I, I, I'm just sister. not buying it. I'm just not buying it. Yeah. Now Simon would know that she didn't die. So if Simon would have said, you know, your sister's still alive, um, I could see maybe Khan, you know, um, forgiving a little bit. Um, but but yeah, he doesn't even tell him that that she's still alive. Well, he should know whether she's alive or not, but does he? Right. I mean, he probably should, because he was around when she was obviously found and given medical attention. Right. And and probably put to bed. 
So he should know, but you don't know 100%. And if he didn't, if he did know, then again I say, what a jerk. Right. No, I agree. He, he's a jerk. And there's no reason why Khan and him should be buddy-buddy. Uh, Roto, I could see befriending either one of them just because he seems like a happy-go-lucky guy when, you know, whoever yeah. whoever his, you know, buddy is, he'll, you know, he's not going to kill you unless he has something to kill you for kind of thing. Right. But, yeah, I don't get the, the Simon Khan thing. Did you ever anybody else notice that Khan lost his buzz pretty quick? Wasn't he just drunk, like really drunk? Well, yeah. When you when you get attacked by a gorilla, that adrenaline kicks in and and it, it might wear off pretty quick. <laughs> you sound like you know that firsthand, Donovan. Well, I didn't want to mention it, but I was <laughs> I was once attacked by Roto. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be that sour milk that got you drunk. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys, since you're not that familiar with alienation, you did know that sour milk got him drunk, right? Um, yeah, I, I I found that in the movie. Oh, okay. That was so cute. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad they brought that into it. Right. Now they uh, did. Oh, go ahead. And also, it's a good thing that it turns out that they're nowhere near salt water, or else they would have brought that into it too. But right, I'm glad they didn't. Yeah. So. so uh, no, I don't have anything. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of interesting, as we'll see more drinking going on throughout the story. Anyway, I kind of liked some of the emotion that was in this book and was being expressed in the artistry as well as the story. So on page six, I thought the the resolve in the ape's face yeah, that, was that eventually turned into utter horror. You know, those guys that were trying to, you know, make a stand against the horde. Yes. You know, so so that was kind of cool there to, at the bottom of the page. It was like, what was it, like maybe five different drawings of this ape's face, a close-up? And he's like stalwart and, and you know, resolve. And then you see the change as he goes, oh, man, I'm going to die. Yeah, oh, I, thought, I, cool. I had the same thought when I, when I read it. I thought, that's really good, like yeah. well done. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I like that, you know, obviously you're not constrained with a mask. So a lot of times you get a lot of lip movement on the apes here right. that you you didn't get in the TV show. Right. Because that was one of my complaints on the TV show. Even uh, Mark Leonard, do you guys know who that is? Oh, yeah. Mark I've heard Leonard. of him. Yeah, Mark he, Leonard. I've heard of him. He was a, he was the, uh, the main gorilla always chasing the two astronauts. And, you know, I, he's, a, he's a good actor and all, but I don't know if he was all that comfortable in the ape makeup because he oftentimes wouldn't even move the ape's mouth when when he was ye- speaking you know when he was yelling it would open but a lot of times he's just having a conversation and it was like the other gorilla he's talking to's mouth moved but his didn't and I'm, I was always wondering if maybe he just wasn't that comfortable in the makeup or huh. right well that is a good point you know that makeup especially back then I'm sure they probably do a better job nowadays but yeah that that makeup obviously was restricting where here in the comics you can draw anything you want Right. So what, yeah. was it? I only saw that remake once, and I know we talk about it on and off. You know, with the, Mark Wahlberg, right? That mm-hmm. one, which really wasn't that good. But I don't recall. I mean, they must have done a better job with the uh, with the faces in that movie. Some, yes, some, no. Um, was it Helen something Carter? Helen Bonham Carter. Did she was? I didn't like the makeup for her at all. Oh, I really liked her makeup. I thought her makeup and uh, Caesar's makeup was really good. It was the orangutan makeup I didn't really care for. Uh, huh. 
Mark uh, Giovanni. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from Sideways. Yeah, and uh, Tim Roth played. No, wait, wasn't Tim Roth? Yeah, t- yeah Tim, was. Wa- Tim Roth was the ape or the yeah. uh, the uh, the gorilla leader. Yeah, Caesar. He was a chimpanzee, but I liked his makeup. I don't think he played Caesar, but no, he, d- I he didn't play Caesar. His name. No. All right. Well, no, he, he, I'll he defer was, to you guys. He was the gorilla, the main bad guy. wasn't Was a gorilla, and he was Tim Roth. And I, I, I thought he did a good job. But Thade, his name was Thade. Thade. Oh, okay. okay, good. But he was a chimpanzee because Michael Duncan Clark played the gorilla, and he was huge. Hmm. Yeah, he was huge. Actually, he was great. Actually, I thought he was a good character in that film. I saw it recently. When it first came out, I'll admit to be disappointed. A lot of build-up. We were excited. I was uh, one of the. What I do for a living is I'm a camp director, and the staff the night before, we watched. We have a big screen at camp, you know, with a projector, and we watched the original Planet of the Apes, and it was really fun because there were all these twenty-something people that were watching it with, and they did not know how it ended. So oh, wow. I got to sort of enjoy watching that through them. And then, of course, the next night when the film opened, we all went out and watched it. And I remember walking away just thinking it just wasn't... <laughs> they tried too hard for the surprise ending, you know? Um, and yet I saw it not too long ago on TV, and I liked it. See, I liked it. I thought that the ending uh, was more of an homage to the, the original novel's ending. The novel, uh, yeah. by what's Pierre it? Boulle. Right. Pierre. Because in that one, yeah. he ends up going back to... Uh, well, you you guys know that he ends up going back to France, and it's the Eiffel Tower and everything, except with, uh, with you know, a gorilla cop or whatever. That's right. the big surprise ending. Um, I thought that the, the new movie was kind of doing more of an homage to that than showing that it was... The Statue of Liberty the whole time, or whatever. Right, right, right. Yeah. That it truly was an alien planet, like the novel had it being an alien planet, not right. Earth in the future. Yeah. But anyways, I could see why you didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't like it. I thought it was plotting. But uh, but you're right, Donovan, 100%. That was, uh, he was definitely a chimpanzee. Fade. Oh, okay. And I always thought he was Caesar, so when I watched the new movie, Rise of the Planet Apes, I always thought that, oh, this is... I guess the uh, closer to the original version of Caesar, but I kept thinking that the Tim Roth character was also Caesar. So thanks for clearing that up for me. I loved Rise of the Planet of the Apes and talking no. about homage. There were so many little. I mean, they didn't try to do the same continuity, but there were so many nice references to the original. It was well done. It, it was a very good movie. I liked it. And whenever you have uh, Doctor Rodney, Rodney McKay in a movie, that's an extra bonus. There you go. Who's that? He's from Stargate Atlantis, and uh, he was the jerk. He was the jerk neighbor. <laughs> the one, so I, because I was trying to bone up on Planet of the Apes, uh, and I apologize for going on a tangent, but I have two two little kids, uh, six and four, and we were watching right. We watched the original Planet of the Apes, and then right after that, we watched Rise of the Planet of the Apes. I'd seen it in the theater, so I kind of knew that it you know when to have the kids turn their heads or whatever hmm. and it was getting to the part where caesar was about to bite that guy's finger off and then right. i i told both of the kids all right guys close your eyes for a minute and uh, my son was sitting next to me and he did it and he was complaining the whole time and then my daughter was like on a sofa with her back to me and i thought she was asleep because she hadn't moved she didn't acknowledge me 
Okay, she's asleep, so she has her eyes closed. Bite happened. I told Jonathan that he could look, and he was like, what did I miss? And then I swear, my daughter sets up, looks at him, and she's like, that monkey bit that dad's finger off. (laughs) 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 Oh, and then we we stopped it shortly after that to make a sandwich or something, and then she was like, my favorite part was when that monkey bit that dad's finger off. (laughs) 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 Oh, I got worst parent of the year award. (laughs) She's a pistol. Yeah, she's funny. She's a pistol. Okay. My last comment on this issue is, at the end, when Elisa the sister got out of bed and it's like oh yeah I got some bandages on and I got one of my two hearts stabbed but yeah I can get up now and she gets up and then she gets all ramboed up and she's got her you know her gun and stuff and the the Heston you know they're all like getting ready to rumble and I'm going I don't care whether she's got two hearts or not she had one of her hearts punctured not that (laughs) long ago I'm ah, whatever I just had a problem with that hmm but I did. I thought, did think it was kind of cool at the end when they when they got all, all rambled up and they're ready to do stuff. And, yeah, it was know, a little kick much, some butt. Yeah. It's a little over the top, but you know, it, it, there's a certain amount of um, emotion that I think goes in this comic that uh, that at least works for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did no, you also notice I she like has it. kind of a what I think looks like a very Star Trek Next Generationy um, outfit outfit on jumpsuit? Pink. Yeah, it's pink yeah. and purple, but. Yeah, well, she's a space person, right? They all kind of look like that, right? Yeah, all the same. Aren't all okay. space people like that? There you go. Well, what what was the deal with Bart? What was the point of that story? He never comes back, does he? He just wanders back to Ape City and... Well, uh, great. No, no, he's really important at the end. Okay. Yeah. That was my big beef with this with this whole series, really. They introduced four characters. They're attacked by a, a horde. They should all be dead. Okay, but, you know, it's a story. You have to have a hero, Heston. Okay, he lived. All right, I'll buy that. One of the four lived. Well, let's not spoiler it. And then Roto shows up. Okay, he's a big, giant Hulk guy. He <clears> somehow <throat> lived and got away. Okay, I'll buy that. And then now Bart's alive, and I'm like, well, are they well, all alive? Come on. Hold on. Hold I on. Mean, but, but Bart ran off before the before the attack. Right. So he was all never right. involved yeah, in the that's attack. Right. It did show him just run off. Okay. Well, I was just getting a little annoyed at this point that, <laughs> well, that all of them were still yeah, but, alive. But keep that thought as we go to the fourth issue. Oh, uh, okay. Nice uh, segue. Uh, anything else for this one? I don't. So I, I can go ahead and start now? Please. Yep. Okay. Issue four, also all the same writing and art staff, uh, so there's no difference. It's entitled Pains. Its cover depicts a newcomer wielding a large knife. He and the knife is covered in dripping red blood. Behind him is a gorilla guard holding a rifle of some sort. And behind these two is a large array of apes, humans, and newcomers fighting to the death in what looks like Ape City. The story starts with Heston's imagination of what Donata's dreams of the planet Earth might look like. Everything is on fire and we see General Olo dead and skewered on a pike. Heston thinks that they must stop this madman. We flash to the present, and Heston and Elisa have sneaked into Donata's bedroom. The crazy Tanktonese is sleeping and is surprisingly alone. His trio of concubines is nowhere to be seen. Elisa wakes her brother with a futuristic rifle jabbed into his chest. 
Heston demands to know how to stop the raving horde that's on its way to Ape City. Donata tells the damn dirty ape that there's no way to stop them. Elsewhere, Simon, Khan, and Roto are preparing to take on the mob before they before it reaches the city. Wave upon wave of feral apes, humans, and newcomers descend upon them. And to their surprise, our unlikely heroes are holding them back. But how long can their good fortune last? Back in Donata's bedroom, he starts to tell Heston and Elisa that Olo is the real leader and not him. Before he can get too far into this lie, Olo arrives and places a bullet in his head. Down and fatally wounded, Donata is not quite dead, and he grabs Olo's leg. Surprised, Olo starts emptying more bullets into the dying alien. This distraction is enough for Heston and Eliza to sneak out of the room. Within the ship's hallways, Elisa opens a trash chute and they both hop in. Once they are able to catch their breath, Heston says he has a plan. Flash forward a few minutes later, and Elisa finds a group of newcomers, and she tells them that Olo has killed Donata. Heston finds a group of apes, and he tells them that Donata has murdered Olo. Both groups are now enraged, and they start to fight each other in an all-out war. Heston and Eliza watch their handiwork from some nearby bushes. Back at the larger battle near Ape City, the trio is tiring. Suddenly, Bart shows up with hundreds of apes from Ape City. The numbers are now getting closer to even. To make things even better, ten Lightfoot warriors show up and join the fight. Back near the ship, the fight is growing to an end. The alien and ape guards have all but killed themselves. Olo arrives and kills a few newcomers before he mounts a horse and leaves it all behind him. Later, Elisa and Heston survey the dead bodies. They each find a skin of sour milk and wine. The two head into the forest to celebrate their victory. Sometime later, Khan, Rodo, Simon, Bart, and the Lightfoot warriors show up to the ship. They are surprised to find it unguarded and all the dead bodies around it. Elisa and Heston reemerge, and Khan is so happy to see his sister again. Seeing that there's nothing else to fight, Simon leaves with his trusted wolf, Logan. Inside the ship, Heston finds Winnipeg's body on the floor, and Packer chained to the wall. Packer tells Heston that Winnipeg is or Packer tells Heston that when Winnipeg was dying, he transferred his soul into Packer. So Packer is now no longer Packer, but some sort of hybrid of the two. Then he says that he's going to go back with the Lightfoot people and not return to Ape City. Much later, Khan and the rest of the Tanktonese are readying the ship for liftoff. They are going to try to reach the time slip and return to their fleet. Elisa gives Heston a long embrace and a skin of... Elisa gives Heston a long embrace and a skin of wine as a farewell gift. Khan also gives the chimp a necklace with a sideways eight on it. He tells Heston that this is the symbol for infinity, and it just happens to be the same symbol that us humans in the here and now use for infinity. The ship lifts off and streaks through the sky. 
Much later, at Heston's home, he wonders if they ever made it to the fleet. If not, he hopes that they make it to a planet and that they are welcomed. He hopes that they do not find any type of alienation from any other inhabitants as they did here on the planet of the apes. All right. So, see? The big Packard ending. shows back up. Yeah, I forgot, that, I forgot that he brought them with him. You're right. Clearly. Yeah, so it, just about everybody. Yeah, so Lightfoot Warrior is the only guy that died, but not truly. No, he was oh. able to transfer his Katra into Packard. <laughs> Katra? I've, I've heard that phrase before somewhere. Remember. <laughs> it was in uh, Star Trek 3 where McCoy got the Katra of Spock. Yeah. Actually, two. But yeah. well, isn't it? They didn't actually talk about it till three. Yeah, but you did see the remember part in two. Right. Yeah. I think I heard somewhere that they filmed that later. That it was uh, that it was kind yeah. of like a throwaway thing, just so that they could have a backdoor if they ever wanted to bring. Because the, the original screening, um, test screening, people just kind of freaked out, and they knew they had to have some way to bring them back. <laughs> freaked out. Yeah. Is that why they did the same thing in Star Trek Nemesis, where they had B4 start whistling and singing? I, I don't know, but I thought so when I saw it. I said, yeah, exactly. So they can bring back data. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the much older it's, it's, data. It's, it's, it's a little easier to to uh, to believe with a robot being re reloaded with something rather than a soul or consciousness or whatever being merged into another being. I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was weak in this story, actually. I didn't, yeah. It just was like, come on. Well, why did they do that? Okay, so they had to kill somebody off. I agree, they had to kill somebody off, but kill them off. It's like, they you didn't need to do that. They should have killed all of them off. That was my biggest thing with the story, <laughs> is that you have this raving horde that, I mean, they slaughtered all those guys. All the other guys. Farm, yep. You know, I agree. some little guy walking down the street, boom, he's dead. But you just want these... to jump to when they blow up the planet. Do what? Oh, you didn't, you didn't see that film, did you? Sorry. Uh, what was that? Beneath the Planet of the Apes? Yes. Number two. Boom, boom. Right. Well, is this horde of people in that? No, 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 no. no, no. Oh, okay. It's just everybody yeah. dies, that's all. Everybody <laughs> dies! It's like a tragedy, you know. Exactly. Charlton Heston dies. Uh, Franciosa, or whatever the guy, second guy's name is. Or James Franciscus? Um, Francisco. Uh, whatever. Franciscus. Francis, I, I think so. I think Ken, you and I will disagree on this, but I, I just thought the violence was a little gratuitous and got a little much. It wasn't like it like in disturbed this me, but it was like, all right, come on. In the issue. Just, in this in issue. issue. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, yeah, there was tons of violence all over there. There's sex, there's violence. What more could you want? <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree that it was violence for the sake of violence. That's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what I mean. Well, and... Wait a minute. Have you guys not seen movies? <laughs> well, <laughs> That's the whole thing. I've but seen... there is always a difference between violence, which really is part of the story, and violence that they just throw in there because they can and because it'll make people come. I, I, I really do think there's a difference. Um, I, I can handle. I can handle it, but I mean, violence in a film, if it moves the story along, is fine. But, no, you know. it, yeah, and I agree with you to some degree. It's just. Mm the way so much media is unfortunately doesn't make it right I agree 
Right. Well, I hate I hate to say anything bad about the the writers here because I I did enjoy the the story quite a bit, Charles Marshall. But uh, I I think that you know they had a formula that they saw Dark Horse Comics do with the Aliens versus Predator franchises, and they saw that you know here's two sci-fi franchises all out action in both of them, even though one's a horror action and one is more of a sci-fi action, but uh, or even really like a army movie type sci-fi action but but when you merged them together you turned it instead of being a horror movie or or some sort of commando type movie it's just all out action and it works in those two franchises but these two are you know what was great about alienation was it was about a, a separate race of people trying to be brought into you know a, a, a another civilization and then the you know it was always about slavery and and, and which which uh, does somebody own another person and um, oh, and prejudice K. right oh I actually thought that that was really well handled in the film uh, District Nine I thought they did an excellent job well I always well, I think that- I, I thought District yeah I think we we've mentioned this before District Nine is like a retread of Alienation Alienation right yeah huh. wow. when when that movie ended I was like oh it was nice to see them remake Alienation but with with uh, with prawns instead of yeah, <laughs> uh, knees, but hey, still good. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole sort of subplot of he was turning into one, you know. Well, and, yeah, that 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 was new. Now, now, mind you, well, I really like District hey, well, Nine. Why don't y'all watch some more of the Alienation TV show? Oh, I right. I try. Yeah, 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 yeah. Doesn't the main character turn into an alien or something? No. But, Is it? But I mean, but there's always that thought of, you know, what if the two species start oh. procreating and things like that, so well, th- there's the thought of the merger of the two species right but anyway, well, anyway. Um, but, but those two movies aren't action movies they have action in them, but they're not all out action franchises and, and I thought that when you merge them you had the potential of still doing what, what I think makes both of those franchises great, but instead they just turned it into like an Alien vs. Predator all-out action story, and, and it was interesting, it was fun, but I, I wasn't the biggest fan of these four issues as far as that yeah. aspect goes, Be, being true to the core franchises. Yeah. yeah, good point. I enjoyed the first three. I wasn't crazy about the ending. Right. Did we figure out why the Horde is crazy? I was waiting for that. No. Well, they they did make a in the middle of the battle as they're fighting they're fighting they're having a conversation you know they're fighting the horde and they're having a conversation with each other and they say things like they are tired Simon tired and confused I suspect they may have even been drugged that's oh. an observation that Khan makes yeah that's uh, it that's they never get confirmation that that's well what no is. no I mean even if they were drugged it's ridiculous I mean how long have these guys been running kicking up a kicking up dust and killing people. I mean, it must right, sleep sometime. Stopping to eat. Months. Right. Yeah. Right. It's it, it's it's like it's like the Tasmanian devil. Just but even he stops. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can get that that you could you know get a bunch of people all riled up and and sent in a certain direction, but well, in eventually they're going to take a nap and then they're going. Well, exactly. Like, well, why are we doing this again? Yeah. Yeah. So in in a classic battle where you have two two sides fighting each other, if you can get your side all riled up, great. But that, you know, battles don't last for days. Right. Well, most, anyway. Yeah, I almost wish they would have done some sort of cheap MacGuffin-type... Uh, here's a 
we have a thing on the ship that riles them up or, you know, oh. uh, creates, you know, uh, animosity or whatever, and that's what they did to them. But they don't. They don't even acknowledge. They don't, they don't try to even do that. Yeah. Well, and and I- what I thought was funny is that when she sees all those dead bodies, and she's just kind of like, hey, let's take some wine and, and milk off of these ah. guys. And I'm thinking these and get have wrecked. been these have been her companions, her fellow slaves for her whole life. And she's just like, meh, I don't really care about them because they were following Donata, but my brother. And I'm just like, really? You have no emotional ties to any of these people that you've lived your whole life with, that you've you know, lived on the same ship? did the same work yeah for well, generations well another thing is I, I agree with that point but also for me it was like well what about going after your brother I mean the good brother Khan and it's like they said now nah, let's go ahead and get drunk and <laughs> uh you know let's get wrecked in the woods and I wonder if that's all that happened anyway um well, what else what it just seemed weird a little cross species um trading of juices i think but you know oh she's not oh. dadada the dada would have done that but come on <laughs> okay he, 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 go ahead I, I i'm not gonna let you say it but i want to bring up a different topic <laughs> when those light feet guys came in you know that whole group of them i mean didn't you get like a jedi thing uh like a little bit of uh what, what uh star wars 2 when all the Jedi's are in the Coliseum and stuff, I just got a little Jedi uh, vibe there. I can see it. Uh, okay. Right. Yeah, all hope was lost. And then, <laughs> even though you had hundreds of apes fighting for you, it was these ten that really pushed you over. I thought I thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, well, you know, they're 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 ninjas, they're samurais, the seven samurai, whatever. They're uh, they're Jedi's. I mean, they, you know, that right. I just got some kind of a vibe there. Now, and even what Heston was saying, you know, because this whole story is him telling a story to somebody else in the future. Sure. And I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know it at the time when I was reading it. But you were saying that there's a, a movie where the lawgivers kind of doing the same thing. So I wonder if if that's where they got this, uh, kind of, story method from that that movie you were talking about. It's kind of standard, you know, narrating a story, is. I know, made- but I mean, but. I was just because okay. it's already done once in this franchise. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's what they were going for. Anyways, uh, what was I going with that? I don't remember. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that, I think that you're right. It is framed beginning and the end with a lawgiver. Yeah. It starts with them telling the story and then it ends with them summing it up. Right. Another thing I, I'm not crazy about the ending is is I thought the excuse for why Khan and company left. I thought was kind of weak. Why they left? Why they left, left the planet? Oh. Yeah, left the planet. So, so they all got back into their spaceship, and and they leave. And it's like, okay, so you've made a place for yourself. After fighting off the horde, how can Ape City not accept you? So you've kind of got a home, I think. And yeah, they said some stuff about, oh, we need more structure in our lives or something. We're used to being slaves. It's like, really? So <laughs> what you're going to go back you're really going to try to go through another wormhole, get back to your exact right time and space. And by the way, they never called it a wormhole, but it sure looked like one. 
in issue uh, one, I guess. Was it one or two? Well, whatever. So you're all going to jump back into a wormhole and somehow get to exactly your right place in the, you know, right dimension, whatever, right time or something, and you're going to become a slave again. Really? (laughs) You're going to do that. (laughs) Why are you even leaving? I don't know. I just didn't get that. And and I didn't get – are they supposed to – are they – Implying that this is the same ship that's going to crash in 1990 um, and bring all the newcomers to San Francisco or uh, to Los Angeles. Because I don't know. Because that's so, that makes it that's possible. Really they, make it, they make it possible, but I I hope that's not what they're trying to say. Right. Because because you would think that George would have said at some point, "Hey, uh, Matt, one time our ship landed and I fought with a bunch of aliens or uh, with a bunch of gorillas." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's not something you would have kept quiet. Yeah. <laughs> the ship reminds me of the Jupiter, too. Yeah, me too. I agree. Well, it, yeah, it's just a generic giant flying saucer. Flying saucer. Orb, whatever. Yeah. But but in the TV show and in the movie of the Tanktonese, there was some called the uh, Overseers or the Klaison Soong. And they were the ones that were like the uh, you know the captains and the engineers and things like that. So I kept wondering is is Khan an overseer and and if so, doesn't act like it. I mean he doesn't no. act like uh, he's you know the slave master of all these aliens. Well, yeah, and that's another interesting thing. Period. Yeah, you're mentioning that you've got this separate class, but so in the original movie they had the separate class were even the the people that flew the ships. Right. I didn't remember that about the original movie. Yeah, because I think Terrence Stamp was one. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. right. You well, saw the movie it's recently, wacky. Brian. Did did they mention it? I didn't hear it. Okay, it, it might it might have been something that that was added for the TV show. Um, but this uh, Malibu Comics or Adventure Comics, whatever they called themselves at this point, I mean, they have other alienation books and and those all the other books. You know, tie into the movie and in the TV show. So, hmm. um, so in this continuity, they would have had overseers in the ship, and and everybody else was was slaves. And I just find it hard to believe that they would all rile up against uh, or follow Donata blindly into this war right. against the apes. Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of the behavior of the majority of the aliens is very odd. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I did like how Khan makes the offhand reference that, oh, there's still lots of aliens on the ship that refuse to follow Donata. And you're like, oh, okay, so not all of them were just killed, <laughs> except for you two. Because <laughs> everybody that came out of the ship is dead, right? All the ones that tried to attack Ape City and all the ones that were around the ship got killed by either the gorillas or or the group that Simon was fighting with, right? Yeah, I think they're all slaughtered. Anyways, it's a nitpick. Sorry. So, overall, good good read. I, I, really, I enjoyed I really it. Enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, I wasn't like I said before. I wasn't crazy about the very ending, but yeah, uh, I, I think I think the journey was more fun than the destination. Well put. I liked the ending as far as them leaving and everything. As far I mean, because how could you keep doing Planet of the Apes comic books with a bunch of aliens also on your on your planet. Right, they had to get rid of them so they otherwise they'd have to continue the the story. Right. 
So I like that they tried to leave, and, and they may or may not be the one that lands in 1990. Um, what I didn't like was everybody in that original band made it to the end. And I, and I always hate it when movies do that, too, where you have a horror movie and everybody lives at the end. Well, that wasn't very fun because <laughs> there, <wasn't, laughs> there was no real tension because nothing bad ever happened. You know, Is it, it, do you not like the very end of Star Wars when all the ghosts and whatnot all come back and everybody's happy? Um. Hmm. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> well, Star Wars is kind of a lightweight. I mean, I love Star Wars. It's just kind of lightweight. I mean, you're not going to see serious stuff in that. Well, I mean, I, I must say, except for uh, Episode Three, where right. uh, they killed all know, the children, where all the kids are killed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, except for that, that was, too, that, much. That was too much. Except for that, yeah, it was terrible. So except for that part, it's pretty lightweight franchise. Actually, I don't like my son to watch that. I I I, I get it. It was supposed to be the ultimate evil that you know showed us he had finally turned. But uh, yeah, and, and there's no going back. It was too much. Well, did you guys much. watch Robot Chicken? Once in a while. They they did a great parody of that where, uh, you know, Anakin goes in there to the younglings and and they're like, oh, Anakin. Uh, what's going on? And he's like, all right, guys, uh, I have a surprise for you. I need you to line up biggest to smallest and close your eyes. And then this little one walks you up. You're going to get a great surprise. And he's like, can my surprise be a hug? <laughs> 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 and then Andy can, like, closes his eyes and he thinks to himself, Go to your happy place. Go to your happy place. <laughs> and then it shows him, like in his mind, he's on a planet with all these tree, uh, all these like flowers, and he's just whacking them away with the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's so funny. Yeah, if 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 you call yourself a Star Wars fan at all, you definitely need to see the ro- Robot Chicken parodies. <sighs> all right, uh, I apologize for uh, taking you on another tangent. Yeah, it's okay. That's fine. We like but, the yeah, overall, I like these four issues, and I and I'm glad you guys uh, invited me. Hopefully, I uh, gave you a little bit of alienation knowledge. Oh, you did, and not to mention, you gave us a little ape knowledge too, might I say? Added a little Score. Point. Yeah, I still want to watch those other. Uh, I think I've Battle of the Planet of the Apes, the fourth, fifth one. Yeah. Uh, although I don't, I didn't like Conquest as much as I wanted to. Um, I like Conquest, actually. And I actually really like Battle. And I think some of that might be just remembering my childhood. I don't know. It was the first real, like, sci-fi movie that I got to go see. It was Beneath the Planet of the Apes. I meant to say Beneath before. Yeah, Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Um, when Planet of the Apes came on, I, I remember seeing it on the TV, the um, the trailers for it, begging my parents to take me. And uh, I was guess I was just too young. But when... The next one came out a year later. Off we went. So I didn't know what was going on. You, you matured a lot in that one year. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay, so that that was really a good, good show. Great little arc. You know? Thanks for joining us, Donovan. We're really glad that you were here with us this week. Oh yeah. yes. Thanks for inviting me. We hope that you'll come back again. Even though I admitted to not seeing all the movies. That's okay. I hadn't seen all of Alien Nation, so. Well, if yeah, I ever get this Alienation podcast up and running, I'll uh, invite you over. We would be honored. Yes, and actually, you know, Planet of the Apes too. So, and there's so many comic books to review. I mean, come on, it's episode one fifteen. It doesn't right. does, doesn't have to be uh, an Alienation thing. 
Yeah, you guys were really milking that uh, that Marvel series to uh, to get that many episodes out. Well, oh, you know, we thought it was such a layered narrative that we had to do uh, several episodes for one issue. Yeah. Trying to understand it on, on every level. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks right, for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time on the podcast of the comic books of the movies of the Planet of the Apes. See ya. Next time. <laughs> on the review. <laughs> I think we should totally do this from now on. We should have a spinoff. <laughs> we crossovers. Thank you for listening to a very special April Fool's episode of Star Trek Comic Book Review. Today we covered stories from Alienation and Planet of the Apes. All rights to both franchises is currently held by 20th Century Fox Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can reach us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com or visit our website at www.stcomicbookreview.com. Please join us back next week where we will definitely be back in the universe of Star Trek.